0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast.
1: Continuing our streak with double header episodes, it is 7 p.m. on the Pacific side and it is 10 p.m. on the Eastern side. And that must mean it's time for a double long, double wide, double exciting, double tasty mission log live. I'm Norman Lau.
2: I'm Holly Amos, and tonight we're back to discuss the penultimate episode of Star Trek: Discovery, mm-hmm. season four, episode twelve, Species Ten We finally get to meet them. Woo hoo! Yay! Um, but there's more. Mm. We're also going to be covering Penance, yes, episode two of Picard, because the trial never ends.
1: The trial never ends. That's right. The just like last week, we are in this uh, incredible situation where we're reviewing two Star Trek episodes somewhat simultaneously because they were released at the same—well, not the same time, but on the same day. On the same day. On the same day, and that hasn't been done ever.
2: No, uh, not since the nineties, though.
1: Not since the nineties. So, and so last week we did it. This week we're going to do it. Next week is the last of at least this most current run. And then much later on, we're going to have Picard crossover season.
2: with, yeah, the Worlds. last episode of Picard will crossover with the first season. And I say, cro- I was talking about this to some of my friends the other day and they're like, wait, there was a crossover. I was like, no, 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 no. The when they like the care, no, like they think that I, they thought that I was talking about uh, like, in the show. I was like the yeah. schedule, like there's one episode, okay. yes, that will cross over for Strange New Worlds, which is awesome. That's
1: exciting. exciting. There's a lot of Star Trek going Star on. Trek. That's why yeah. we're here. So um, Holly, where can our listeners start lining up so they can start talking about us? About their Well, you produce. guys
2: know how to click on the Zoom link, or you can call 669 nine-90-6833, enter the meeting code and password, and then you will be in the Earl Green Room, and he will pass you along to us. Oh, and let him know, reminder, let him know which one you want to discuss and if you want to discuss one or the other or both.
1: That's right. So, so he, in the,
2: he puts you into the show at the correct time.
1: In the first half of the show, we're going to be talking about Discovery. The second half of the show, we'll be talking about Star Trek Picard. In the middle of the show, we have a very special something to share with all of you. Uh-huh. If you've been following our Twitter, which you should be doing you're going to hear some exciting stuff in the middle of the show. Holly's going to bring all that information to you, but uh, let's jump into the chat and see who we have here. So coming in at, because rank has his privileges, our hip, uh, Earl told me about that. And that's because he's more hip than I know our hip being to be ranks has his privileges. We have the Admiral in the pole position. We have Bob Amos coming in uh, there as, as always, it's great to have you always here, Bob. Uh, we have a Paul in the top five, which is always good. You know, I feel like Casey Kasem's countdown. Now we have a Paul in the top five. Terrible (laughs) Casey Kasem, but that's what I'm going to do. We have Rhea. Hi, Rhea. She says, good evening and good night. Are you already gone? Did you leave? I hope not. I hope you're still here. Chris Riker, John Arminio. John Arminio, thank you very much for a... An email that you sent us that we're uh, going to read on an upcoming episode of Engage. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Dave Ketchy, good to see you. Uh, I see so many Pauls, but I'm not sure if it's the same Paul or Pauls just in different universes. So either way, I'm counting at three. Uh, Alan, good to see you. Scott Palm, Dave Taylor, Michael. Um, Sorry that Captain Mike Richards uh, can't be here. He has to do something, I don't know, like, responsible so he had to go to bed early or something like that. Uh John Cooley, Cooley. is here. Um with a wonderful shamrock icon in mm-hmm. his yes, it is his
2: almost St. Patrick's Day. Today's pie day though.
1: It is. And you said you Celebrated or celebrating, or I will, will
2: be, be celebrating? celebrating after this. I baked a pie.
1: Oh, yeah. I
2: made a delightful apple crumble that I will be eating after this. So, but not only is it pie day, it's also a very special anniversary on this day in 1993. Deep Space
1: Nine's uh, the, maybe the worst episode. I don't know. Move is Along
2: it? Home premiered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, everyone, all together now, right? So,
2: Alamorain, Alamorain, count of four. Alan Moraine, done three more. Al Moraine, if you can't see, Alan Moraine
1: it's me. So <laughs> you're welcome because somebody had to, and that someone is Holly. And thank you for doing that. Uh, <laughs> just to let you know, it's coming up on Mission Log this week. Very busy week. We continue the journey with Parallax Voyager's second episode, and we're doing it this Thursday, and. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting episode. It focuses on Belana Torres. It focuses on whether or not the Maquis and the Federation crews can work with each other. Or will they just continually fight and have parents try to separate them and make sure that they play nicely together? Uh, War Particles is the bonding moment, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Mission Log Prodigy is also back this week. We're going to be dropping a very special supplemental with Ashley V. Robinson, Robinson and myself when we're taking a look at the top or the first five episodes. Uh, from an older fan's perspective, usually on Prodigy, we try and come at it from a younger fans perspective but now as older fans are finding the the secret the secret sauce inside of prodigy and how it resonates with them we're going to be talking about that also we have mission log the orville coming back with season two's lasting impressions it's that episode with the cell phone and the strange girl's life that gets recreated. Fantastic episode. Probably one of the best in this series. You're going to want to make sure that you listen to that with Captain Mike Richards and Jessica Lynn Verdi. Engage is also back this week because John and I were able to get to some fantastic emails. Again, thank you, John Arminio, for sending in yours. So make sure that you go to Roddenberry Entertainment Channel on YouTube, sub to all of these sub channels because you want to stick and stay in touch with us because that's the great stuff that we're producing for all of you. And make sure you stay in touch with us at podcast.ronberry.com where all of our shows are listed. Deep breath. That's a lot. Yeah.
2: There's a lot going on. There's a lot of Star Trek. There's a lot of sci-fi. There's a lot going on.
1: Before we jump into the recap, uh, because we have, again, we we have to split the show into twain. Um, We haven't experienced this before, like, or at least like you said, Holly, since the nineties. So um, good idea that, we're crossing over this much or is it just coincidence
2: uh you know i think again like this is not i don't feel like this is unfolding the way that cbs Viacom, paramount whatever entity you want to refer to (laughs) um i don't think that this is what they planned from what i understood what they had planned is that there wasn't really going to be crossover, but there was going to be at least one episode, one show streaming and available at a time. Right. right. Um, and then we would basically have Star Trek year round. But I, you know, COVID messed all of that up because it messed up the shooting schedule. So I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I, I think having grown up in the 90s that I'm super cognizant of people experiencing a level of burnout that we did in the 90s. Um mm. But I think because all of these shows are happening in different time periods in the franchise, and they're they're meant for different audiences, um, you know, I don't know how many people are watching every single series. I mean, I I am, but um, you know, I think if somebody watches something and it's not their cup of tea, they can go and watch one of the other series. So, um, sure. I th- I think that's what I am liking about this Renaissance right now is that they're all very different. And if you don't like one, you will probably like another.
1: I mean, there's a lot of variety. And I, I think that's the secret probably, uh, probably just just to the uh, the ease of which people can kind of like pick and choose which right. Star Trek is right for them, like a salad bar, you know, or like a buffet. You don't have to have it all. It's great if you want it. But
3: you right. Don't have to have but it I all. mean, also
2: right. streaming makes everything easier, right? Because if you, I mean, I remember missing episodes of Deep Space Nine back in the day and being like, well, I don't know what's going on.
1: Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's also nice that you don't have to set the, uh, the proverbial VCR for the proverbial episode. God, Do you remember you have... doing that? Oh yeah. Do you oh yeah.
2: <laughs> mm, setting the VCR. to do...
1: <laughs> Yep. And then you have to make sure that if you were really diligent, you know, and if you knew your VHS player intimately, you knew their rollback sequence, that how many seconds it rolls back after you hit pause mm-hmm. so that you can count forward before the commercial break. So you have a seamless transition out and in. Yeah, that's pro. That's pro, right?
2: I, I, I didn't do that with Star Trek stuff, but I did that with in stuff,
1: <laughs> like the band. <laughs> yeah, like all you people, can't you see? Can't you can't. Like, that's
2: the wrong
1: one. Oh, sorry. That's I, I thought. Voice. I thought it was larger than life myself. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the recap uh, before we go down that nineties rabbit hole, of which I have been and I like in sync the whole marionette thing oh, That's okay them, right? good so you yeah, do know yeah. who they are great i do i do i, do. I love me my jc chazes uh right species 10c for star trek discovery season four the penultimate episode upon a rot excuse me upon <laughs> <laughs> i needed to get this pun perfectly okay upon the arrival of the USS Discovery to the hyperfield of Species 10C. Captain Burnham, the Discovery's crew, President Rillick, and all of the first contact delegates are in sheer awe of its size. Species 10C has not responded to hails, nor appears to be interested in them at all. However, the clock is ticking as the DMA's effects will soon begin impacting Earth and Navarre, and communications must be established immediately, starting with using the chemical compound form of, quote-unquote, we come in peace, via the dots using said compound to knock on the front door. Which works in an unexpected way as Species 10C opens said door of sorts through their hyperfield and ushers them inside. Meanwhile, on Booker's ship, both he and Tarka are updated by their informant on the inside, General Andoyer, who updates them to the situation. Discovery is now on the inside and is in talks of sorts with Species 10C. Jet Reno, observing all of the going on, goings on from her cell, needs to find a way to contact Discovery. If she only had some black licorice, well, because she's hungry too. As species 10C continues to actively scan discovery and her systems, Burnham, her crew, and the first contact delegates fervently math and science their way through a series of complex calculations and simulations to try and find a way to establish the most rudimentary hello. Zora is experiencing her own nagging problem, one which she needs Dr. Culber to help diagnose. Back on Book Ship, Reno, who finally got her licorice, is working on a way to communicate both with Discovery and with Book, who she believes is not 100% on board with Tarka's plan, Tarka's real plan, which, through her silent observations, knows will end in disaster for everyone. She reminds Book that their respective grief has blinded both his and Tarka's perspective as it once did hers after she lost her wife. As Tarka is preparing to escape the hyperfield, Burnham and her expert team of linguists finally break through the language barrier by discovering a relationship between Species 10C's pheromone and the most recent lighting strobing patterns. And after receiving Discovery's most recent attempt at hello, Species 10C sends a shuttle as an invitation for Burnham and her handpicked team to further continue their talks. And as they made slow and steady progress, understanding that there have been a miscommunication between their species all along, something happens which ends their negotiations sharply. Tarka has sabotaged Discovery's peace talks as he executed his escape plan. He overwhelms Book and imprisons him with Reno as Nadoye, his spy on the inside, releases warp plasma, which burns a hole in the hyperfield, allowing Tarka to escape. But not before Reno could send off a message with Book's help to warn Burnham and Discovery to stop Tarka at all costs. The end. And that's as fast as I could make it. Yeah, for. that was
2: pretty condensed. Good job.
1: So much stuff to get to. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, before we get to our first caller, Chris, who's waiting, uh, let's jump a little bit into our notes. Holly, uh, what did you think about this episode? Uh,
2: I, I appreciated the slowdown. I mean, I do like when we have balanced episodes between, you know, blow them up and shoot them up and like actual dialogue and character building um this was a very slow episode there's not a lot of action but i love the problem solving and brainstorming aspect of this episode which Mm -hmm. is just runs through the whole thing that's like what i'm here for that's good star trek
1: yeah i mean i like when i like when episodes find that moment in the series to slow down and take the moment to kind of uh, to breathe, let this series breathe a little bit, as opposed to just keep moving forward and forward and forward and finding pockets of air to breathe. I just think that for me, this episode being the second to last penultimate episode is the wrong place for this. Do you think the this. slowdown
2: should have been earlier
1: in the season? Maybe two or three episodes before mm-hmm. just to let all the characters have that moment, have their moments, which they did in this mm-hmm. episode, right. because it, it seems that they're going to have to resolve a lot next week or this coming right, week. which I is say.
2: which is kind of an issue that we've had with Discovery before, right? Like everything has to get wrapped up in a neat bow, or at least we hope that they wrap everything up. And then sometimes we find that like we're like, well, what happened to this and what happened to that and what about the cat? What's the cat doing? <laughs> like
1: no, uh, you know so. it's yeah, I, I guess. This all hinges on whether or not we believe that they're going to conclude this story in one episode, as opposed to conclude some of the threads and allow the, I guess, the greater storyline to continue into season five.
2: Well, I mean, obviously, the the greater story in terms of character development always continues into the next season. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll see if we get ended on a cliffhanger. I mean, that was that was the thing that they did back in the day, right. Is instead of it being serialized, they would have a two part episode, but the last episode of the season would leave us on a cliffhanger for the entire summer. Like remember both, both, both best of both worlds. Like that right. was, people were like pulling over Sir Patrick and they were like, you ruined our summer. Cause we don't know what happened to you. So, I mean, I feel like that's less of a thing now because it's, it's serializing, but mm-hmm. Um, I do hope that there's a number of things that I hope they wrap up um, and it is a lot for them to have to do in one episode, but they're also not confound to like the 45 minutes either. Like we've had longer episodes than that. So I hope they just do it without it feeling like forced or rushed or forgetting anything.
1: (laughs) True. Right. Uh, I did like how this was, there were several homage type of themes at play here, at least for me. I I felt a lot of close encounters of the third kind, like the very final sequence when they were negotiating the tune with the aliens for first contact situation. I felt a lot of, as I made the pun earlier the very first sentence i felt a lot of uh, the the 2016 amy adams movie the arrival uh how they used a lot of science and math and trial and error to get to a point of contact with the aliens that were you know uh appearing all over earth so, there are things like that and there, of course there was this great kind of flavor to the motion picture where you felt very it was very vijer-esque right. uh, you know the hyper barrier so well, and a little bit of the abyss
2: it's hardcore you know. sci-fi right? right like this is this is the hardcore sci-fi that like our parents and grandparents grew up with Mm -hmm. where it's like heavy conversation um not so much like partially because they didn't have the special effects back in the day right to just like blow stuff up all the time right but these these types of conversations and big ideas are what sci-fi true sci-fi started off as
1: exploration like a longer narrative you know Mm -hmm. introspection like more of the the human adventure as on the inside as opposed to or internally as opposed to externally right right yeah which is kind of like star trek's bread and butter which is maybe why it resonates a little more strongly with some fans of of the overall fandom than say others
2: Right. i mean i appreciate it
1: yeah i did too and let's see um unless you have any other points let's see how let's see what chris thinks yeah, see what Chris
4: thinks. Did Chris appreciate it? So, hey, Chris, welcome back to the show. Good to where see you. Where are you today? Where, where, where this are is, you? Uh, this is BoJack Horseman's house. Oh. Netflix yeah. show BoJack Horseman. Those uh, are some stilts. Right? Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, very Malibu. Um, no, but I, I really like this, um, the whole arrival sort of problem solving, like Holly said. My favorite bit was actually the the first sequence that Book and Reno have, where we get kind of the sort of like lore and backstory both of them going to what you guys are saying about sort of the slowdown that yeah like as much as I love that scene I would have loved that to have happened a little earlier especially for book that you get more sort of him going against Tarka like he comes around because we knew he was going to come around and realize that Tarka was no good Um, uh, but it would have been nice to have him sort of wrestle with that a bit more before we have to rush to the finish line but no that scene was Tig and David Ayala is just wonderful
1: yeah yeah Uh I agree with, with you on that. I, I wish that that book had more of a chance to, to wrestle you know, with these greater moral questions. You know, Is he doing the right thing? Is he acting out of so much pain and anger and guilt? Which we have, you know, have heard Burnham allude to before, which is why she's been defending him this entire time as he's been making these bad choices. I, I just think that if you took this episode and, again, gave it a little bit more runway towards the end... I think that some of these greater character building moments would have had more time to pay off, give, give the wick more time to burn. If you will.
2: Yeah. Do I like sneaky jet more than I like sarcastic jet?
4: Well, I think they're like two sides of the same coin. <laughs> is is she, She's always kind of snarky and whatever. And this is just sort of her applying it in a different way. I, I did like that. Licorice was not just a joke, but actually was like, the crux of their like plot device. I was like, Oh, you actually, (laughs) yes. And listen,
2: (laughs) black licorice is
1: superior.
4: No, you're wrong. Absolutely (laughs) wrong. No shot.
1: That's some contention. I don't, I, I am just going to sit back and not have a black licorice while I watch people argue about black licorice because I love not black th- licorice. Not, so does my, my dad,
2: my dad will vote yes for black licorice in the chat as well.
1: If I had to eat licorice, it would be black licorice. I do not like red Twizzler stuff. It's basically watches give me plastic to chew on. I, uh, that's, that's the way I feel about it. <laughs> you know, um, we have a great deal of callers coming in because it is a two parter. So Chris, as much as I'd love to have you here for longer, if you have one more thing that you'd like to say before we have to let you go.
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I am hopeful that they stick to landing. I think they want to have their cake and eat it too, and that they're gonna have like the gunfight with Tarka and then go back to the like arrival stuff and the sort of like compassion heavy sci fi. Whether or not that'll land, I don't know. That's my prediction, is we're gonna kind of like split it between the two sides of like shoot 'em up and what we saw this week and maybe that'll work, maybe that won't. I don't know. We'll see you next week.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really going to be a very interesting evening, won't it? So for, you know, this week as discovery rolls out the final episode. I hope for the best. I'm with you, Chris. I hope for the best. I think that for for Star Trek's case, uh, for the fandom in general, I think that if they stick the landing, I think that uh, it, it shows to the audience at large that uh, Discovery can have both its action side and its introspective side. And I think that if they balance that equation out just a little bit more, maybe in season five, then I think that we've come to a much better place than, say, where Star Trek Discovery originally started from, which was probably not in in the best interest of all fans but that's just me speaking out loud uh i I think that with something like this with this episode it it just felt like very solidly ground in classic science fiction so all righty then so thanks for calling chris and we have the vice admiral on board vice admiral i haven't seen you in a while good to see you sir unmute
0: there we go good to see, yeah i got it i got it <laughs> uh, holly
1: norman good to
0: see you both hi. yes norman you and i haven't talked in a while so hey it's good to see you my friend yeah how have you and been You as well holly i've been good how about you busy you you've know you've had some hair growth i see
1: a little bit you know it's uh it's what happens when they you know put me in a box you know water me very sparsely but you know allow the nitrates to you know to take over of course things like that you know of and this, this is just the hair um so yeah yeah this is i don't like sometimes i don't know what to do with this thing i'm like is this my is this my thing now is this my shtick you know do i tie it back do i do i cut it off i don't know it i don't know but that's neither here nor there you
0: the jedi ponytail maybe
1: yeah. maybe i'll do the braid thing you know with like a couple of beads you know a la obi-wan styles since obi-wan's coming back i mean yeah you know, i gotta Obi-Wan be someone's padawan he used to oh he used to, he used to Back in the Padawan days, you know, way back, way back in the late 90s. Um, maybe I'll be John's Padawan. I'll be his podcast Padawan. Put some beads in my hair. That's what I'll do. You know? Seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did you like this episode? How did you like? Um, I
0: thought I thought this was the most Star Trek of any Discovery episode we've ever had.
1: Yeah, I've heard that uh, across the board, you know, on social media and in conversations. Um, what in particular do you think?
0: I think the fact that we went through an entire problem solving process and even involved the bridge crew in that, even if they don't get a boardroom or a conference room to do it in, um, they have to do it on the flight deck, but whatever. Or, or uh, the I mean, hangar they're deck.
2: flying by the seat of their pants. I loved when she called them in. I mean, oh, yeah. Cause in terms of problem solving, like having more brains on it and more perspectives and more, you know, experience. I mean, who would have thought of, of the musical sort of, Not really connection, but she compared it to music, right?
0: No, Uh, exactly. That's mm -hmm. the point. Uh, In the past of Trek, we've always needed the rest of the crew to bring some perspective to some of the situations. And that hasn't really happened in Discovery up
1: until recently. Right, One pair of eyeballs only sees one way.
2: Yeah. And I, I appreciate that the not the answer, but what what kind of gave them a breakthrough came from other members of the crew and it wasn't just Michael solving the problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just like last episode where it was, <laughs> Det- it was Detmer who solved the, the problem of protecting them from the effects of the hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're finally starting to see that, that the rest of the crew actually has a place here as opposed to Michael solves everything.
1: Um, it was nice that, you know, they're, they've earned their position on the ship for a reason they've earned their position on discovery for originally for a specific reason stayed on the ship at a survival and circumstance but they obviously are intelligent they have been well trained they know understand crisis situations they understand how to understand perspectives especially perspectives of the unknown sort of origin when i i thought that was it was nice and I, it was great that it didn't have to be again uh, in that kind of like stuffy stodgy boardroomy type scene it's like i need answers and i need them now who's got them right and now you start. don't even
0: have to walk from the bridge to the hangar
1: deck you just tap your badge you're there i know but you know you really should get your steps in when you can <laughs> you know? i mean that's important that's important oh my god the yeah
2: future. they're not getting steps in
1: what they should all be getting a bit pudgy don't you think remember cardio you can't outrun cardio. the Borg. You can't outrun the Borg without cardio. Oh, like
2: they hobbies. still have cardio, though.
0: That's what the disco shirts are for. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Or, or, you know, the Ritos ones. So, you know.
2: Yeah, you Ritos. Yeah, there's, there we go. Ritos.
1: I really got to get on my, my T-shirt game. I, I think that uh, the fans out there have probably started clocking my, my T-shirts like the way they did Gunny Highway and, uh, you, know, and um, you know, Heartbreak Ridge. You know, I just I have X amount of T-shirts for the course of the week. So ideas, people. Ritos. Or is the Stargazer shirt available? Because I
2: really yes. like shirt. Well, uh,
0: it should just say Gazer.
1: It, it
2: does just say yeah, Gazer. Just Gaze. one Perfect. One of the, Perfect. Uh, I think yeah. Drexler has a Gazer
1: shirt. He does. And okay. on the back, it's like the schematic that he worked on. So right. I, don't know if so it's I think he it.
2: specially made that. I don't know if it's available. I'm sure it will be. Is the Proto
0: Star one just going to say Proto?
1: I hope it just says Pro. <laughs> there
0: you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> but yeah. The
0: proto's just stop at S.
1: That would be amazing. Um, <laughs> one last thing for uh, from you, Vice Admiral, before you have to let you go. I'm so excited with all the callers that we have lined up. But since we have this thing split into Discovery yes, First, the card second, two. So, oh, fantastic! So we'll we'll recycle through the revolving door of of transport. But let me add so
0: one more point here, just a quick yes, one. Mm-hmm. Book ship. Why doesn't he have his own override code for his own bloody ship to Great stop somebody question. from trying to take it over?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that, too. (laughs) I was like, he was like, this is my ship to Tarka. And then I was like, okay, but Tarka is holding you hostage now. Maybe we should have some protocols set
0: up. Or not not to drift into the next part of the episode, but, you know, set off the self-destruct if you have to. Um,
1: They should have never have given him 16309 as a combination, like ever. So. (laughs)
0: Deep Fair cut, enough. folks. Deep cut. Fair right. enough. <laughs> um, All right, guys. Let's let somebody else get in here for a while, and I will see you in the second half.
1: Good seeing you, sir. We'll be seeing you soon. All I'll right. Take care. Okay, uh, Alan. What's up, my man?
3: Hello, Norman. Hello, sir. it is good to see you. In uh, in, you. Uh, in 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 the words of that great uh, Romulan uh, toast, Slancha. It's sl- it's
1: slancha. Yeah. and <laughs> Dan.
3: Uh, ah, yakada.
2: I'm oh, just going to drink without saying anything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Prost, hosts. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is the the one week of the year that I drink Guinness, so there you go.
2: Oh, oh okay. <clears throat>
3: yep. Is it
1: because of um, St. Patrick's Day? Move along yep. home?
2: Oh, is yes, it of course. because yeah. of
1: Move along home. <laughs> everyone it, should be drinking.
3: It takes okay. a six pack to get through that one.
1: No, it does. <laughs> <laughs> But, you'll, you know, don't do the hopscotch thing or you're going to shake the foam off. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I
2: mean, if you're intoxicated right. enough, I feel like the hopscotch would
1: be funner. Yeah. They should do that entire thing at Star Trek Las Vegas and a hopscotch uh, run with drinks.
2: Th- it, that's exactly. Happened.
1: Do it. Oh, that's really? Happened. Oh,
2: man. <laughs> uh, can we talk about the 10C?
1: Sure. The species are, as in its own themselves. yeah can
2: i just make two points that i enjoy that like i mean we officially met them this episode which is why the whole episode is named after them mm-hmm. i appreciate first of all that they're a non-humanoid life form i was really hoping that we would get a non humanoid life non humanoid life form so yay mm-hmm. also yeah. uh norman you weren't here last week but john and i we were talking about the the pheromones and the emotions and like how they are essentially communicate via that sort of in a roundabout way. I mean, we didn't have as much information last week as we do from this week's episode. But what I was concerned about is that they the the species was going to be sort of cut and dry, whereas like you're either happy or you're sad, but you can't sort of be both. I wanted there to be able to be simultaneous emotions because I feel like most complex organisms that are capable of emotions, sometimes feel two conflicting emotions at the same time, two or more, right. um, and that was confirmed in this episode that there are simultaneous emotions that these yeah. like, you know they're like twelve percent this and like three percent that. I was like, great, it's so it's not mm-hmm. so cut and dry. Those are my two points. I, I, I Pixar, enjoy that about the species.
3: If Pixar has taught us nothing else, it's that you can feel two things at once. <laughs> There's yeah, a whole true. movie about that, uh, but yeah, and and the fact that. I liked to, uh, with the tendency that, A, they, yeah, the first of all, it wasn't just emotion. It wasn't, I love Darmok. It's a completely ridiculous situation that they just speak in metaphor. There has to be something else to it. And in this episode, we get at least some of the context of communication through pheromones is that there is there is a there is a mathematical component to it mm-hmm. as well at mm-hmm. least in the way that they're communicating to us because we're you know stupid bipeds that you know you know don't think like giant tentacle monsters in space tube so i mean but there's an, know, there's,
1: uh, there's an interesting thing that i think is a detriment that Star Trek in general has done to its fan base. And that is the the shorthand of visiting strange new worlds and seeking out new life and having that new life speak perfect universal English a universal common Ooh. immediately. Now, it's episodes like Darmok or some stabs that Hoshi did in Enterprise or this episode where... They're trying to establish what real first contact actually would be per alien species that they would meet.
3: Yeah. Right? Those... Because
1: this is pretty much what would happen with every single episode of Star Trek ever when they meet mm-hmm. a new species, right? Unless it's like a colonized planet that humans, you know, colonized and learned that language. But until you actually have the universal translator matrix established, everything is alien language. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right? Paul, uh, but I just have to interject here. Paul Harvath in the chat says, "Alan speaks in memes. Take it easy yeah, on Darmok."
3: I love true. Darmok. Darmok <laughs> is
2: Darmok my, is is a master level of storytelling in forty five
3: minutes. It's mm-hmm. arguably my favorite episode. So yes, of course I love it. Um, they're like, but they're yeah.
1: like, it's uh, it emulates a movie, say like Enemy Mine, you know, with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. and and um, Dennis Quaid, where you're, yeah. you're dealing with these two alien life forms that can't speak to each other. So they have to do so in a way that is, you know, stereotypically classic science fiction type tropes, which is fine, you know, but you can't do that. You can't do that in the exposition of a 47 to 48 minute episode where you have to get a point across because mm-hmm. nothing would ever happen, Yeah. which is why it's nice to see it actually in Star Trek doing the Star Trek thing where they're doing something like with V'ger not understanding that what this alien species is doing isn't necessarily evil, or violence yeah. <laughs> right uh, that obviously is a you know it's a side effect of the paranoia of uh, and, and this is something I wanted to talk about uh, about uh, say the two different reactions we're having on the ship you're having kind of like the peaceful negotiation and interpretation on one side and then you have like the the paranoia and fear and threat with Tarka and book per right. se on the other side uh, those are always kind of like the two gut reactions that humanity has to something that is the unknown, right? So it's nice to have like the Federation on one side being the explorers and being the interpreters for peace or trying to, and then, but you always have that darker side of humanity, which always, how's this going to best serve us? Or how do I get out of this situation? It sabotages us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: The paranoia always sabotages the people that are sort of calm and seeking out peaceful negotiation or talks right always, everything was going so well you guys everything
1: yeah
3: was
1: going <clears so> well <throat> everyone on the, the, the same page right <laughs> everyone on the same page um yeah. Alan, we have like a, about a minute here for you oh, and sure. then we got to get on to sherry
3: well i would like to say that in an episode that i loved and i'm glad that it took a while you know I, i've seen some people online say oh this stretched a lot you know blah 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 Oh, this, they could have done 10c in one episode bs
2: <laughs> no i was upset no. that they did tarka's background story in exactly. one episode i want the C to be several episodes yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. but yeah in an, in an episode that i loved there was one uh one 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 poor downside can we talk about the dread pirate cleveland booker and and like like <laughs> the vice admiral said why he's just picked up the idiot ball for the last three weeks you can't trust tarka he's sabotaged you at every, at every point. Sabotage. Yeah, I mean,
2: I put in my notes, I am shocked, shocked that Tarkin is willing to, to care every, yeah. to kill everyone to get what he wants.
3: To, to quote other sci-fi <laughs> curse your sudden, but inevitable betrayal. Uh. You know? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact to the point where you get locked out of your own ship, man, come on.
1: Okay. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to defend book. In one particular uh, way. And okay. I'm not saying that you're not wrong. I'm just saying yep. that Tarka is that he's that guy that knows how to change the locks as soon as he walks in the door.
2: Okay. But
3: well, I mean,
2: Book ran that ship for a year mm-hmm. with Michael, though. Like,
1: yeah. but she he, didn't
2: set up any protocols.
1: I don't know. I, I'm just saying that he's that guy that he knows how to stick the gum in the keyhole so that he can come back to an unhinged lock
2: okay, later but on. The black licorice is better, so.
3: True enough. No, he I, stuck, I get that. You yeah. stuck the banana in the pipe, tailpipe, yep. Hey <laughs> know.
2: Oh, a steamed banana? A
1: steamed banana. A steamed banana, yep. All right, I, you get your steamed banana point, plus one for uh, for this round. Are you going to be around for the next round?
3: I believe so, yeah. If there's enough time, I'll cycle on through. We'll see how it goes.
1: All right, hit... Polly, please hit the revolving door and uh, let our parting guests know what they get. <laughs> they get sherry yeah i right get
2: sherry sorry i was straightening my board cube i'm wearing a board cube poncho you guys
1: we're gonna oh, get to, i can't cool. believe it's like so it's like so It's like fast and furious i actually really do feel like, kind of like a radio dj I'm like getting in celebrities as sherry is to us a celebrity
2: <laughs> i thought you were going to do the casey Kasem voice again
1: no i'm not sure if that flew over well like a led zeppelin i'll have to practice right? i'm sorry Cherie. i'm taking your time i'm stealing time from you
5: thoughts sheree
1: yeah
5: uh so first of all it just bothered me like why didn't paul ask zora where rena was he claimed he was looking for her all day you have a computer that can tell you where people are
2: yeah i mean that was uh, that uh, that that comment was sort of a throwaway right toward the end of the episode where they discover like you know she's she's not there i've been looking for her all day that's why, yeah. didn't you, why, the didn't, why didn't you say just something? Like, just like Culver did. He <laughs> yeah. was
1: getting his steps in. I'm telling you, they're step conscious, some of these people. You know, they got to be. No, I, I get it. It's sometimes um, writers just forget
5: that. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that they at least addressed it because I was a little worried they were just going to be like, oh, no one noticed Reno was gone. And I'm like, you better notice Reno's gone. She's awesome.
1: <laughs> I like her liquor, I like her MacGyvering the communicator i thought that was good
5: yeah I, the licorice reminded me of a uh, lower decks episode where they were stranded on that planet and the replicator would only make black licorice
1: yep
2: there's
1: um, oh, oh there's the there's the I, theme I, there's, I, there's the theme I, there's black can, licorice oh. and the
2: bananas too. the hot bananas and the steamed bananas oh these are that's hmm. As i can't remember if, if you did that podcast number if that was john but i remember ashley
5: was definitely not on board with me a liking black licorice but holly and you know me what they don't. On
2: the black licorice drink. black licorice listen listen <laughs> if you want like good black licorice new zealand makes some really mm. good black licorice okay. Ooh, that's, okay that's what i will i, I have, have a, you ever uh, had licorice tea holly i have mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's one of my favorite teas listen i get re- i get really obsessed with certain flavors <laughs> like i'm obsessed with dill right now black licorice Ooh, dill's great. a fan <laughs> yeah, I get. I I just want everything in that flavor. I'm, you know, I'm not. <laughs> all I know at all you guys.
1: If whoever was hosting that show, if they were wildly handsome and funny, I will take credit for both. So it may have been John, but I'll take credit for him. You know. <laughs> to
2: catch his like, this is not the first time that we've discussed. Black I just licorice.
5: remember no. whoever it was didn't like black licorice either. So
2: uh, <laughs> it's a very it decisive have been flavor. Um, it was actually,
5: and someone who also did not like black licorice.
1: I'm not a fan of red. Red's not. Yeah, that I, I can do black licorice. Red, not so much. No, um,
2: that's interesting that you're like, you could take it or leave it on black licorice because I feel like everybody I've ever met has been either they love it or they hate it. And there was no in between. And you're a little bit of me in between.
1: Well, it's kind of like um, in, in some of my culture's food, there's like star niece is used a lot. And that mm-hmm. has a lot of black yes. licorice mm-hmm. tendency to it. So mm-hmm. being Filipino. Um, so it's Jojo Briones. Yeah. I just had to say it because I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: we will get to him
1: Yeah um, but this is Sherry's time So the episode what else did you like or
5: And not? Um, I like so Are either of you kind of worried that They're sort of setting it up to kill everybody on Bookship
1: I, I oh kind of god, like that's
2: how they're writing it <laughs> I, I mean maybe at least Grudge about... is on the Discovery then
1: The Reno's uh, on Bookship
2: Oh no Yeah, I'm I, 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 like they had better not kill Reno <laughs> Um,
5: um... Because I'm concerned because like their whole, the whole the whole setting the Kobayashi Maru whole thing up and the the right. president telling uh uh Michael that basically she can't save everyone and I feel like this is supposed to be the lesson and I'm a, very concerned about especially Book also finally talking about what it, where his name came from because that was always like a, a thing he's like oh to Michael he'd be like oh I'll tell you later
2: or whatever and
5: like what they if finally get-
1: told us.
2: Oh, so, why Reno did Reno gets, get the story? And- what if Reno gets,
1: what if Reno makes it out and she becomes the next book?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. Right. Um, as long as he makes it
5: out, I'm sorry. Well, I think- Reno and the cat. And Your no.
1: theory is lighting chat Gr- up. Uh, Chat's like going, is on the no. discovery. <laughs> no. is- oh, right, right. Is on discovery,
2: yeah. which is where I thought she was. I thought that he carried her over right, there right, right. when That's they true. split up. Discovery. Um, and she was she was in a scene where they were screaming, which mm-hmm. I you know what about this screaming scene, because I wrote this down too.
1: Speaking of screaming, there's a lot of no's going on uh, in chat right now. That's uh they don't they're seeing it's a little dark. Kind of case no. <laughs> well
5: i don't want it to happen i'm worried that it is going to happen although <laughs> it, how narratively it's been set up
1: that would make for I a great I'm cliffhanger wrong. that's a cliffhanger in itself like what happens if
2: they all shows. die is
5: that
1: no. a cliffhanger no it's like they something explodes but we don't know what happens for another four months just like Riker saying fire oh, that would you know weird. and then right
2: yeah In best of both worlds, God. Remember the music behind that fire.
1: Dun dun dun. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, So the scene that has grudge in it, she gets upset because the two of them are screaming as a form of releasing frustration or feeling like they're out of control or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. It works. Uh, It does. So Mm. in my grief over grant passing away, like I remember talking to a couple of my friends and being like, you know what? They were like, what can we do for you? How can we help? I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to go somewhere. I want to go into an empty field where no one's around. So they don't think that I'm being murdered or something. And I just want to scream. And I actually Googled the best places to scream in Los
1: Angeles. (laughs) there's because um, it
2: is, it is a good like release of emotion and frustration. And for the, for them, it was, uh, they're talking about how they feel like they lack control.
1: Yeah. So, And, and screaming then- is literally like losing all control, but in this case in a controlled environment. So it's, it's an exercise in, in being able to kind of harness that and channel it. Right. Um, after losing my dad, my therapist told me to go to an ocean and yell, like, at the vastness of the horizon because there's nothing for, there's nothing to return. It just goes and it goes out there and you just kind of release, cathartically release all of this energy for whatever reason, whatever you need to do it for. Um, And it doesn't judge you in return. Right. So it's an interesting concept of being able to do that where, because usually energy is, you know, as you give it, you receive it at the same time. That's, that's the theory. Um, But yeah, with, with, I like the the whole thing with Book and and Saru because Saru is like the last person you would think right to to engage in an exercise like that. He is always so by the poised.
2: Book. Yeah, he's poised and controlled right? and yeah. I yeah. That's why I think that it was impactful is because it it is his character that's like, "Hey, so Tarka taught me this thing and it's yelling." Yeah. <laughs>
1: and he's teaching her yeah. Which is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And I mean, keep in mind that she's not half Vulcan. She was raised partially Vulcan, I guess, is what you could say. So, right. I'm sure that that would absolutely not be accepted as no. a way to exercise those emotions. Exactly. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great scene.
1: Um, we have just about a minute here before we have to do our special mid-show thing, Sherry. So um, are you going to be calling back in or would you
4: like to get yeah, one last for, point in?
5: for, for Picard. Um, but I'll, uh, I already know Holly was not surprised that Tarka would commit genocide. What, what do you think, Norm?
1: I think Tarka's a very interesting character because they, they've, they've done so much so far to create a very interesting, complex, and very layered character. But I don't think that they've given him enough runway for us to accept what he's going to do next if it's going to be that extreme. So I guess I just have to see if they're going to resolve it in one episode or continue on in some type of a cliffhanger. But I do like the actor who plays Tarka. He plays him very convincingly. He, he, he makes you empathize with him and want to kill him at the same time, which I think is a great uh, talent for like any actor to be able to have both of those emotions you know uh, both of those reactions happen simultaneously in the same person or from the same person, so um, we'll see I, I hope that I hope that this week 's episode pays off for everybody, and if it doesn't necessarily conclude this storyline, I hope they do it in a way where it makes sense that they're going to extend it, so we 'll see yeah
5: I hope that one dies <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, but I'm sure that um, Holly and John will be able to field that question when it, if and when it happens next week.
2: We'll
1: <laughs> see. Yay. All right. Thanks, Sherry. Uh,
2: I want to give one last fun fact before we yes. move on to the half. So in this episode, the organization Medi is mentioned, which they're only, I don't know, like seven years old. Um, but Burnham brings up Medi. And what I enjoy about that is that Ansem Mount is a board member on Medi now. What? Yeah.
1: <laughs> our captain.
2: Yeah. So our that's captain, a fun. That's captain. a fun little. Uh, that's a fun little
1: connection that I. Very cool. All right. So uh, something special that we're going to talk about now, uh, everyone. You might want to pay attention to this because this is pretty cool. Uh, first of all, if you want to win your own copy of the Star Trek Picard audio drama, No Man's Land, simply. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already following us, and then use hashtag Mission Log Live and the book title, and we'll announce a winner on the show every Monday night for six weeks, starting right now, today, right after we do some brand identification for the book. But before we announce our winner, Holly's going to tell all of you a little more about all of this.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. I got I got it on my Audible the other day. Okay, so No Man's Land, it takes place between seasons one and two of Picard, Seven of nine and Rafi are enjoying some much needed R&R. They're interrupted by an urgent cry for help. They team up to rescue a mysteriously ageless professor who is endangered by a vicious Romulan warlord. And our lead characters tentatively explore the attraction hinted at in the finale of Picard season one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an original fully dramatized Star Trek adventure written and produced exclusively for audio. So you can only get this on audio stuff. Uh, it's complete with authentic sound effects for a fully immersive and seamless experience. Mm, um, so it's the work of uh, Kirsten Beyer, who we love. Uh, well, I love her. Uh, she's the co creator, writer, and producer for Picard. And then Mike Johnson who is a veteran contributor to star Trek comic books published the, what he's a lot done a lot with IDW, who is the current licensee for star Trek. Um, he put me in a star Trek comic book. Thanks Mike.
1: <gasps> oh, <laughs> fantastic.
2: I've been in a couple, but he was the first one to put me in and like, give me a name. And like, yeah, it was very exciting. So awesome. we like Mike too. Uh, okay. So Jerry Ryan obviously plays seven of nine. Michelle heard is Rafi. Uh, it's a full cast audio drama station. Um, host of talented actors playing all new characters, so we get some new characters in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Fred Tatasciore. <laughs> Is yeah. in it. you guys know him as Lieutenant Shax from Lower Decks, so that's <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm glad that the Star Trek realm is giving him some more work. Um, these storylines have long been their challenged assumptions and contributed to real world cultural progress. Um, There's same sex attraction, basis of No Man's Land continues this tradition. So, some interesting concepts that Star Trek has started to explore and will continue to explore, which we appreciate. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. published with the full support and participation of Star Trek, CBS and Paramount and their creative and promotional teams.
1: Uh, Just to string uh, out the announcement just a little bit longer, because I know you're all on the edge of your seat. If you're sitting in a seat and, are you a fan of audiobooks, Holly? Do you like? it? Do you enjoy? I am. Audiobooks? I have Audible.
2: Yeah. I have Audible. I have all. Of, I have a bunch. I have a bunch in my library. I think the uh, last one, the last Star Trek one that I downloaded. Again, not to do my own horn, but it's a novel that I, I'm my characters in. But yes, I have many. I have many.
1: Well, see, the interesting thing about some audiobooks is some do kind of like the full Monty, where you have the actors. Well, sometimes you don't even get the actors. You know, the acting talent you know, official acting talent to read their own characters. is very, very, very particular. Yeah, Uh, it's a very special thing. So getting uh, Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd to do their characters is fantastic. But also, if you're not a book reader, but you want to say, put it in your car or listen to it at the office or you know, whatever you're doing at home, and you can actually hear the same sound effects they're using in Picard, like the same soundscape that they're using in Picard. When you watch it, the Picard and then you listen to this, it's one seamless experience. That's what you want. Like you don't want to say like, oh, that audiobook wasn't nearly as good as the production on the series. That's not this case. This is literally listening to an episode
2: right and what i appreciate yeah. about audio stuff just in general is you know when i watch a new episode of star trek like obviously not just from the fan standpoint but from the fact that i'm on this show i'm like i have to pay attention to it mm-hmm. audiobooks you can put on in the background and while well, i mean obviously you have to be listening to like acknowledge what's happening you don't have to like focus on the visual aspect of it which sometimes is nice
1: mm-hmm Yeah. And you can actually get in maybe a little bit more into the nuances of the performance, which again, is always great when you have the actual actors reprising their roles. So with all that said and done tonight, the first of the next six weeks tonight, week one, tonight's winner is Paul William Gregory.
5: Yay. So
1: congratulations, Paul William Gregory. We will get in touch with you. We will make sure that you get your audio book. And if you want to get your own copy in the next five weeks, please remember to follow us at Mission Log Pod on Twitter. Use the hashtag Mission Log Live for your chance to win a copy of No Man's Land here on the next five weeks of Mission Log Live. This is where you're going to get your copy if you win, and you're going to hear all about it even more in the weeks ahead. So, good luck, everyone. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Make sure you use a hashtag, and we hope that you win because this is going to be amazing.
2: Good luck.
1: Good luck. So part two, we are into the back half. We are the bottom of the seventh. We're the back half of the show. And Norm is up at bat. (laughs)
2: You're you're doing all sorts of announcers. Now you're a baseball announcer.
1: I know. It's a thing, right? I told you I really needed this caffeine to kick in. And it has. (laughs) So it's part two of this two-part doubleheader. And we're going to go right into the recap of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 2, Penance. Immediately following the revelations from the Stargazer, Q has revealed to Jean-Luc a new version of home. As Jean-Luc's sense is clear, he realizes his world is in fact different. The winery is filled with terrified Romulan slaves, skies above are covered with force field generators, and the internal decor is grotesque and complete with the skulls of Gul Ducat, General Martok, Ambassador Sarek, and others in his correction- General Jean Luc Picard's collection of slain enemies. And Q once again reminds Picard that the trial never ends. Setting into General Picard's study, Jean Luc familiarizes himself with this new world order. In this world, in this time, the Federation has established a pure universe where savage civilizations and warlike alien worlds have been subjugated or conquered in favor of a safer, more human galaxy. Harvey, General Picard's synthetic servant, reminds him that he's due in San Francisco to join the president for Eradication Day. Speaking of the president, Seven of Nine also wakes to her world turned upside down. After proving to herself that she's not dreaming, she quickly assimilates into her new identity so she doesn't cause suspicion. In this reality, she is Annika Hansen, president of the confederation and married to an extremely militant and paranoid magistrate. Stumbling her way through her new reality, she uses her presidential authority to contact Chris, that is, Colonel Cristobal Rios, who is currently squashing a Vulcan uprising. Seven and Chris both reveal that the last thing they remember was being on the stargazer before it self-destructed. And much is the same for Rafi, Elnor, and Agnes, as they have all awakened within their own mirror-like version of themselves in this upside-down, hostile, violent, paranoid, and humanity-first confederation. They all try to uphold their new identities, much like seven, so as not to raise suspicions, especially with the magistrate, who, aside from being married to the president, is a very sharp, detail oriented, and dangerously observant individual. In Agnes's laboratory, all is revealed, however, as she, or rather, this timeline's Agnes, has been experimenting on what remains of the Borg Queen, also last seen on the Stargazer before it self destructed. When General Picard arrives, he is brought to see the Queen, who reveals that time is broken which forces Jean-Luc to confess to his friends what Q told him earlier at the Chateau. With all of the pieces in place, Picard and his crew know that time has been altered and that Q has affected a specific point in the past, and they need to find a way to time travel in order to fix where, or specifically when, this all went wrong. After peasing the bloodthirsty mob for Eradication Day, which is the Confederacy's anniversary to celebrate the elimination of human threats, both alien and domestic, Picard and Seven delay the proceedings long enough to steal the Borg Queen, who is in fact the centerpiece of Eradication's Day exterminations. She has the technical ability to calculate time travel. Picard and his crew were saved at the last moment by an emergency beam out to La Serena, where Rios is standing by in orbit. However, before they can escape, the Magistrate beams on board, guns down Elnor, and plans to execute them all, especially Picard, the Borg Slayer, as traitors to the Confederacy. The End but the trial never ends.
2: <laughs> dramatic. Nice Thank
1: yeah, you. <laughs> Very dramatic. Uh, uh, wow.
2: I had a friend who is a casual Star Trek fan text me Friday. So a day after this episode premiered and he was like, did, did you watch it? That was good television. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. And then he actually asked me um, what Q episodes he should watch. Oh, well three, so I suggested him some Q episodes.
1: Uh, deja Q?
2: No, actually, um, obviously, the, I suggested the pilot and sure, the... Sure, of course. I mean, to understand the whole trial thing, the pilot and the finale, you know, a nice book. Right, right. Uh, interestingly enough, I thought that from the standpoint of understanding his relationship with Picard, I said he oh, watch Tapestry, yeah. Of
1: course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that, yeah, that's probably like the most intimate, I think, as mm-hmm. opposed to impish. You know, impish right. queue versus, you know, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get up in all your business queue. Yeah. So
2: yeah. anyways, I, I appreciated that there are people that, you know, are not like hardcore Star Trek fans like me saying that they thought this was a great episode. So,
4: yay.
1: I have to be 100 percent completely honest with the audience. Um, something that I brought up to Holly's attention and to Norman Earl's. is
2: real angry about something.
1: Yeah, I am. Um And I don't really, you know, I don't like coming down too hard on certain Star Trek things. Um, I'm usually a very open minded, positive, optimistic Star Trek fan, except for this one thing that I saw in this episode that lit my fuse. Which you also,
2: you also have a personal attack, like relationship to why you're upset. So explain, explain. So
1: in a nutshell, I enjoyed this episode. But one thing happened that really set me off, and that was the mirror universe, if I can say that. The Confederacy. I'm going to call it what it is. Confederacy. The Confederacy's yeah, com badge being used as a throwing weapon. That to me, and I'm going to say it out loud. That to me was probably one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen in the history of Star Trek ever. Period. That's just me. I have... Uh, an affinity towards you know medieval weapons, bl- throwing weapons, bladed weapons, things of that nature. It just didn't seem to fit anything ever in the history of Star Trek. So that's just me. So I, I just want to get it off my chest. I appreciate everyone indulging me on that negativity, but that's just not my problem with that. I, I don't like it at all. But what I do like, what I do like, I love seeing John John Briones yeah. as the magistrate. Um,
2: magistrate is...
1: The, uh, uh, the president's yes. husband. Yep.
2: Uh, he, he is the father of. So Issa. He, though. Yeah. yeah. Issa.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's so kind of like good. all in the family kind of thing. And he uh, is a Broadway singer, a famous Broadway singer of his own accord. yeah He was in Miss Saigon. Yes, he was. He was the engineer in Miss Saigon.
2: I love Miss Saigon. Yeah. I've never I was never in a production of it, but I had some friends in high school that were in a production of it. It's a lovely show.
1: Can I ask you something? I want to ask you in the audience one thing. Why is it in when you have kind of like these mirror universe-esque tropes, and it's not just in Star Trek, but it happens in science fiction all the time. Why is it that when you're on the side of good, when you're like in the normal universe, like you're in the Navy, i.e. like Admiral Picard, you know, the the naval kind of nomenclature and when you go evil you go army like general or colonel why is it why is that like can't you have an evil admiral can't you have an evil evil you know captain commodore i've never noticed that yeah
2: that's interesting right? well i mean i feel like the you know the navy nomenclature is something that gene was like right set on doing i don't know why they that's a good point
1: isn't that strange and it doesn't happen just in star trek it happens like in science fiction and in weird kind of like altered right. realities just if you well, want to make I someone mean, I, more evil you turn them more land-based military as opposed to sea-based military i, I don't know well yeah. i mean
2: i it, the fact that it's in different kinds of sci-fi or whatever, not just Star Trek. I, I mean, I was going to suggest that they're just picking like the opposite of, of the naval titles that, that Gene was introducing and, and liked for everybody in Starfleet. Well, but if it's happening, it happens in
3: other stuff?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, huh. I, can't, I can't, you know, right now, I can't, you know, uh, immediately sum it up. But I say, for instance, in, in Babylon 5, the good guys were... Navy based. And then there were a couple of bad guys that were part of the storyline that were army based. So they were like the bad guys in the situation. like. But just in terms of that? their
2: titles. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Right. Huh. And,
1: and and their motivations. So oh. yeah. So now you have instead of Admiral Picard, you have General Picard. You have right. General Cisco, which is actually kind of cool to hear. Um, oh,
2: God, there was a lot of mentions of character. Well, Cisco gets mentioned in dialogue. But and,
1: uh, yeah, and there were a lot of Deep Space Nine references. I mean, you had Golda Kott, you had Martok, you had Cisco. Oh, my right? God, you guys, let's
2: let's get into this because there's so many deep. So let's
1: do it. Do Cisco
2: it. is mentioned in dialogue. Mm-hmm. The computer that. What do I call her? President Hanson, Annika? I don't know. Seven is, you know, going back and forth between. Um, Seven Miles Shooter. Are- miles o'brien is on there
1: <laughs> he is
2: tasha yeah. yar is on there so tasha's alive and i think she has something to do with andorian uh i saw it very quickly so i think she has something to do with the andorian uprising um and tuvok is commander mm-hmm. of vulcan forces
1: so which that's are, exciting which are at war with the confederation
2: Right, yeah, that's yeah. what we that's what we see Rio in when you know yeah. they're having an uprising, and then I mean the skulls are also a deep cut too, right? So the ferengi, so there's a ferengi, and they actually don't say who it is, but there's a plaque underneath it. It's it's Zach. Wasn't me. <laughs> and the fact that like we find out that they have bones in their ears, I don't know why I thought that was wild. So a lot of people. That's think, what makes
1: the Umlocks oh feel God, doing better. So many
2: voices tonight.
1: Oh, no, it's the caffeine. Sorry. <laughs> uh,
2: a lot of people thought that the Borg skull is Hugh, which the eyepiece matches, mm. but the the thing underneath it, the little plaque says that it's uh, his designation is one of two, and Hugh was third of five. So I don't think that it's Hugh. But obviously, we get Gold Ducat is called out. Martok is called out. Sarek is called out. Sarek was executed by Picard in front of his wife and son, who we know is Amanda and probably Spock. Like it's not going to be Cyborg, right? It's going to be Spock. The thing that I enjoyed about the thing I enjoyed about his skull, if no one noticed, is that Sarek's skull is slightly tinted green.
1: Oh, I didn't notice that.
2: Okay. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. It makes sense.
2: Because their blood is green and they even get called out as like green blooded, whatever.
1: Yeah. It's well,
2: derogatory.
1: It's you know. interesting that it, like, with him murdering Sarek, like, like, puts a whole kind of canonical spin on reunification. Right. So, uh-huh. yeah. yeah.
2: Anyways, many call outs, many deep cuts, many references. Yeah. I appreciate it.
1: Um, before we jump into the callers, any other things you want to bring up? Because we have probably a lot to talk about with our callers with uh, this episode.
2: Last point I think that I would like to point out, because I think everything else is probably going to come up naturally. Uh, mm-hmm. Spot 73. Yeah. Obviously a yeah. data spot reference mm-hmm. more. So Patton Oswalt is the voice, right? Yeah. Patton.
1: So, so we have a filibustering animated cat, which is going to be amazing. Right. Cause that cat could go on spot 73 can go on. Yeah. In eternity talking about star Trek and
2: Patton. I mean, Patton Oswalt is a huge star Wars fan, but I appreciate yeah. that. Like he's in my favorite Pixar film. He's Remy and Ratatouille. I, I love him. I think he's fantastic. And I'm oh. so glad
1: his geek cred is.
2: Yeah. He's got amazing geek cred. though. So.
1: One thing I want to throw out there uh, for chat uh, for Chris also is and, and this is kind of like um, it's a hot button topic, but hey, we're here. Let's talk about some hot button topics. Is it is Picard really only about three elements anymore? Picard, the Borg, and Noonie and Sung.
2: I mean, right? we, we do see a Zoom in this and we yeah. do have a Borg and that's why I'm dressed up as a Borg cube.
1: To the whole poncho thing. I mean, give us the full effect, Holly.
2: It's yeah. a, it's a,
1: Look at that. It's a cube. Come on, people. That's, <laughs>
2: I don't, you can't see it.
1: Let's get some applause here. Oh, now you're, now you're cloaked. Now you're back.
2: <laughs> I right. didn't even change my background either. I got to change my background. Hold on, you guys.
1: So I just. we've seen, you know, we, we have seen uh, in the snippets of the previews, we've seen Q interact with a version of a Sung, which is Brent Spiner. Right. We know Brent mm-hmm. Spinderson. These are no spoilers. But the thing is, is that you have these elements now. Is it always going to have to be Picard and the Borg? to make a Picard story interesting? Does it always have to have the Borg in it?
2: I mean, I hope not. They're an interesting species, right? And they're a huge part of Picard's psyche experiences and uh, how he reacts to things. But
1: It's just one of those questions. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of like other things I would like to see explored or maybe new things. So it's always like ever since first contact, well, not ever since best of both worlds, really, it's yeah. always a return to the Borg in some type of way, shape or form. And is it because it's just sexy marketing driving the ratings?
2: Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, obviously the Borg are familiar people. Get, I mean, you see me getting excited over references and, you know, there's a fine line between me being like, oh, I'd like them to explore something new. I, I would. I also appreciate the references and the callbacks and stuff like that. So, sure. um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I would wonder how those conversations would go in the writer's room. Like, is yeah. anybody like, are we going to do the Borg again? Can we not?
1: Yeah, it's one of those kind of, um, let's put like all of ideas out and then put two things out here. Borg, well, One thing really, Borg, cross the line through it, no Borg, go.
2: But what I will say about the way that the Borg is being used so far is that I feel like that might not be the main focus. Because ultimately, like, what they're trying to do is go back to 2024, figure out what what Q did, and mm-hmm. they were told to find the Watcher. Like, who's the Watcher? Probably not going to be a Borg.
1: Could well, be Could that's be. That's why I'm not going, like, way down into it yeah. right now. I'm just throwing that I, out there as food for thought.
2: I would appreciate them using the borg the way that they are now if that's not the central focus and I don't think that it will be.
3: Okay.
1: I mean, I hope not, you know, where it's not hinging on, you know, or leaning too heavily on this is the reason why the borg are here. We'll you know, see. To, we'll see. So, I mean, there're what? 11-12 episodes left. 11 mm-hmm. episodes left. Right. So a lot of storytelling uh, to happen. So um, let's jump right into it with Chris. Uh, Chris, the revolving door has brought you back to us. That's right. Once yeah. again,
4: uh, well, first and foremost, I will most, I will gladly join Holly in the spot 73 fan club. Um, if he doesn't come back later <laughs> this season, I will be very disappointed in Alex Curtis because that's just too to pass up. I love Patton Oswald. I love the cat. Give me cat merch. Give it, give it to me. I can't um, but now, you know, it's gonna be—it's
1: yeah, gonna be a thing. It's gonna be like a right. wall
4: cling that can stick on like a window or something. Ooh,
1: right? Yeah. Be,
4: or just—I want like an app, like a like fake Siri, and it just like has like <laughs> twenty like cat nautical lines that just like cycles through. And, and then at disaff- the end
2: of everything, he says "meow."
4: Disaffected meow. Meow. Look how quick yeah. yeah. Holly is Very with good. the background change. Look at that. Oh
2: yeah. Now I'm in the yeah. hard study.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
4: but my thing is, everyone seems to think, with somewhat good reason that Q is the one doing these shenanigans. I would like to play devil's advocate here that maybe Q is not doing at least all of the shenanigans Uh, when they first show up, and Picard's like, what'd you do, my guy? What'd you do? And Q says, the line I fixed it on was, I am a suture in the wound. Mm Which To me, says that Q is trying to fix something. That he maybe didn't create this bad timeline, or didn't create all of it, and that he needs Picard's help to write whatever temporal thing has gone wrong
2: picard's question is are you unwell and the look on q's face when i think he's trying to like calculate what his response is going to be is was very telling that like there's obviously more to this than yeah this is not just q shenanigans you know in john luke's words i'm i'm too old for your bs and i was like oh, i same. love
1: that i love oh, yeah. that they can cut loose with at least that much um vulgarity you know for something like that
2: yeah because i it, when he said that i was like mm, same i hope this is not just q being Trelane again like just messing right. around for the sake of messing around because he's a child like there's something else going on
1: if q needs help from picard because you know q's power is as far as we know infinite And that has to be a power level that is as powerful as the Q or more than, right? Because Q, if he needs help, can't, he can't overcome whatever outside entity is challenging his power. A suture and a wound to Q is like Q snaps his fingers and then writes all time. He's done it before. Right. So, I mean, we've seen Q's power and the vastness of it until he's met up against other Q.
2: I punched my microphone. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Because there was an episode in, um, in Voyager where the Q and the gray, You know, when he's battling other Q and he's hurt by the weaponry, simulated Mm -hmm. weaponry of what Janeway understands is the power of other Q that are in civil war. So, yeah, that's possible. Also, interesting thing, and I'm not sure if it's actually um, a a physical attribute for John Delancey because of his age, but I was really fixated on the blemishes in Q's eyes. Like there was like when Picard was saying that there's something wrong with Q. Take a look at the whites of his eyes.
2: Yeah, he has a he has a mark over here. I I thought that was just John Delancey aging.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that it might be, but if they're playing into it, they really used very specific zoom ins and lighting to show that there's something literally behind Q's eyes. Yeah, you know, that's affecting him.
2: I Um, okay, interesting.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was reading into it, if it was in fact like something digitally enhanced or you know or they're enhancing something that's already part of John Delancey. I'm going to say something that's probably controversial again about Picard, but because of Patrick Stewart's age, rarely have I ever seen any other actors actually go or even steal scenes away from Patrick Stewart and John Delancey murdered his scenes.
2: He, his delivery of the line about it being a penance, like scared me.
1: Yeah, he was on another level, mm-hmm. a completely other level. And I know that that Patrick's age is a factor. He doesn't have the voice anymore. He just doesn't have that that presence that Picard has that was usually steal the scene back from a John DeLancey or from other actor. But wow. I, like he that that was his moment. Like John DeLancey had his moment. That was his moment as Q, as far
4: as I was concerned yeah delancey is is killing it i mean just everything about obviously quoting shakespeare and through mirror darkly and walking oh yeah
2: he so there's three episodes that he mentioned m- mentions so it's, Enterprise,
4: it's mirror darkly and what's the third one through what the that- looking glass yeah oh which the are second all part mirror of episodes of the, and okay yeah. yeah right so yeah it
1: was, <laughs> it was smart stuff um one last thing for you, Chris, before we have to uh, let you go and get to uh, some other callers yeah. here.
4: Yeah, uh, the one fun little detail that I've noticed is that um, on the sort of back-end production side, Q's snap now has this kind of like ominous thunk behind it, whereas mm-hmm. in TNG it was like the kind of like... Oh, yeah, it's a little bit more playful snap, in, it's in like TNG. Yeah. 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 Here it's very very again to the menacing sort of ominous. Like every time he does it, it's like, oh man, that something just happened. He means business. Well
1: it, they, they leave very little to chance when it comes to a lot of these details. So it's very well possible that when Picard said there's something wrong this time with Q, I've seen Q before. There's not this isn't the same, you know, happy go lucky, you know, mischievous, impish, you know, devilish Q. I've seen him at his worst and I've seen him at his most playful. And this is neither of them. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. And I, I hope, you know, we get to see more of John Delancey because this is a this is the turn for Q that I have not yet seen. And I think that's really refreshing to see that he's taken a character that has had a handful of episodes and great amount of success, you know, in the in the in the fandom of Star Trek. But really, do you see these characters elevate after a certain point in time seeing Guinan last week? I mean, it was great to see Whoopi, but Gainan really hasn't changed. You know, like even when we saw her in Generations to Now, she really hasn't changed as Gainan. She's very even keel. She's very, she's the same note, and it's a great note. But, but that's this why cue, Picard
2: seeks her out too, by the way.
1: Because of her consistency. Right. Right. But this cue was like, I want to see more. I want to see where he's going to go with this. So I'm, so I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, thanks, Chris. Appreciate uh, you calling in again.
4: <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good one. Stay safe. All right, man.
1: You too.
2: Did he call uh, in again, or is it we just chilling in the Earl Green room?
1: He's in the he's in the, uh, the Earl Green rotating rotating <laughs> doorway. Yeah, um, and so is the Vice Admiral, who's uh who's up on deck, back at I it, am. back Ahoy. at it for the back half of the episode. So what's happening Hello again,
0: both of you? How are you again? Have you had a great half hour?
1: <laughs> so far, so good. The caffeine is working. So uh, I blame everything on it. You know,
0: as do I. Yeah. So let's continue what you were just talking about, Norman and Holly, mainly Norman. Um, There was a, you know, we know that it looks like there's something going on with Q. Yeah, there's been there were enough shots that made it clear that we should be focusing on his distress or non normalness. I -hmm. will be
2: so impressed if that is like. On purpose, because I genuinely was just like, oh, John Delancey just has, you know, a mark in his eye.
0: But let me ask, the episode's name was Penance. Penance. Mm -hmm. And Q went to a lot of trouble to say that somehow the penance is Picard's. But how is that possible?
2: Yeah, I thought that, too. I was like, does he not know what a penance is? Because it's self-imposed.
0: Maybe he did something in the past that he is bringing Picard in to help with, and the penance is really his, and maybe that's what's going on. Maybe something caused him to either lose his place, lose his power, have some other crippling effect that he really desperately needs, the only person he can count on in all the bloody galaxy to help him.
1: I'm surprised that when when he saw Picard, he didn't say something along the lines of, it's not really you in there, is it? You know, or it's not really you because this is the first time if correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time that Q has seen synthetic Picard. This is you're not correct. Picard. But he yeah. did
0: reference it in the beginning yeah. of this and when they were doing the skull thing and
1: he, yeah, said, he said that Cod was the reason.
2: Yes, yeah, Goldicot is the reason you're in that synthetic body now.
1: Yeah. Admiral Picard is. Yes. Okay. But No,
2: it- but in in this timeline Right Picard is also a synthetic. Right. And it's because of
1: because of what Caldecott did.
2: Yes, which we don't know what it is. It just got mentioned passing when he was talking about his... Yeah, I
1: thought that was a little goal. clunky myself.
0: It yeah. was. Well, it was, yeah. but it but it lets us keep the synthetic body with just a a you know a lamppost kind of, oh, look, sure. you're in a synthetic body.
1: Okay, I can buy that. I mean, it is, it, it's expo- exposition for the sake of moving the, the story forward. But yeah... Um, uh, yeah, this Q. You know, it's uh, maybe he always sees himself kind of joined at the hip with Picard. It's like if I'm in trouble, you're in trouble. You know, if I'm going to get myself out of it, you're going to get me out of it. <laughs> maybe because they have such a a shared checkered, interesting past. Why together. is he so like,
2: fixated on Picard? I always wonder in the time period because again, you mentioned that we we only see Q in a handful of episodes, right? Mm-hmm. And he was basically thrown in as a time lengthening character for the pilot, which got bumped from an hour to an hour and a half. And that was a whole thing in what, 1986, 1987. Um what's q doing in between everything when he's not messing with Christ? is he, does he have the same fixation on someone else like in between like is he causing this amount of chaos in somebody else's life at all?
1: I wanted to have children with Janeway. All right. So I mean right. at one point in time. Uh, you know that's the that's the in- the thing is when you have these kind of like these nonlinear temporal beings that are omnipresent, omnipotent, omni everything, omni plot armor, you know, you can write anything that you want because they are your trapdoor. I mean, let's be honest, right? You know, you, you create characters like this because you can write yourself out of any situation with a snap of your fingers. You know, I don't think that anyone out there in the audience like sees it for anything else than other than that. Like, you know, of course, they can be great characters. Of course, they can be written well. Of course, they can be performed well. But they can also be used as a tool as to serve a purpose, and that is to create the exposition of the story. But in this case, though, I mean, at least, at least the writers are, are giving Q something new, something different, you know, and definitely darker. I mean, this is a dark Q. I mean, we've seen Delancey at dark before. We've seen him threatening before, but we haven't seen him kind of unhinged, right? That's kind of terrifying, right? Seeing an unhinged Q. Or yeah. desperate. Desperate. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah, desperate mm-hmm. Q. You know, which is forcing him to do things he probably has never wanted to or thought of doing before, like, say, maybe beg for Picard's help. Maybe he's trying to maneuver Picard instead of asking him for help because he's too big to ask for not don't,
0: I don't think he knows how to ask for help, but exactly. he knows how to right. find Picard. And he knows mm-hmm. how to make him do things by changing his world into something he absolutely
1: abhors. So he's creating a scenario so that Picard chases another scenario to write whatever wrong that happened, because Q can't just say like, I messed something up. Can you help me?
0: That's what I, I think that's probably it. Yeah.
2: Ooh, so uh, the idea that Q has too much pride to just be like, oh, I messed up. Right. Is also interesting.
0: Maybe it's- he can't even do that. Maybe the rest of the continuum, if he were to admit it, would do something to him that he can't allow.
2: I mean, we, we did see him punished at one point.
1: Exactly. And he knows mm-hmm.
0: that he didn't like that.
1: Right. Right. When his powers were stripped from him. Right.
2: Yeah. Yep. That's the episode yeah. where he just, just like naked,
1: getting all, all naked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, I mean, there's a lot of obvious, it's a lot of story to get to, but I think my bigger concern, what do you feel like, the writers at this stage, though, the writers that are handling Picard, finally are trying to maybe overcorrect that Next Generation never had a Mirror Universe episode.
2: I mean, potentially, because I mean, but more than TNG, I would have liked to see Voyager in the Mirror Universe, which we have now in the comic books. But, you know, yesterday's Enterprise was about as close as we got. And then Year of Hell is as close as we got in Voyager. Year of Hell should have been an entire season. Well, that was right. the
0: plan. It was supposed to be an entire season, yeah, right?
2: Right. So they should have should stuck have to
1: that. Um, but for all intents and purposes, I mean, yeah, you're I mean, really like one logo away from the Terran Empire.
2: Right. But I mean, I also feel like in terms of when they're deciding to do this, if the reason why they're like, oh, we've never done, you know, like a mirror type, and not like the mirror universe is a very particular universe that we talk about. Right. Like, I don't think this is the mirror universe. It's not Terran Empire. Like, that's not not where we are. No, I'm not saying I'm
1: not saying that they that they're making one. I'm saying that we're just in
2: an alternate reality, which is not something that they fleshed out in TNG. But yeah, why you're, saying, you're
0: saying you think that they've gone out and on a, a, a way too far to say, yeah, we should have had a Mirror episode in T&J. We didn't, so here's our apology. Kind of. Yeah. Right? But
2: because- t- timing-wise, like we just did this in Discovery. And we all talked about how, like, can we be done in the Mirror Universe? Can we just get on with it? Well,
1: that's what I'm saying, though. It's not necessarily like the gold-plated Mirror Universe that we saw with, you know, um, Michelle Yeoh and, you know, right. Captain Georgiou, or Empress Georgiou. But it's a different one. So, I mean, I buy, you know, kind of like the, the the super fascist, you know, all black clad, you know, Delta throwing uh. regime that this is far more as a mirror universe episode than the mirror use episode that they put in Star Trek Discovery. I mean, that's but it's it's,
0: also it's also the alternate universe we need for today's real world. Right.
2: No doubt. Because no this doubt. is absolutely like yeah. not even a question about it. This is a statement. Yeah. Which- oh, sure. I mean, most of Star Trek is a political statement.
1: It is. Oh, it's definitely a statement piece for sure. Yeah. It's just, like I said, it's um, the one thing that was missing from the TNG equation that makes it formulaic from a serious standpoint is one thing. And that was the mirror universe per se.
5: Right.
0: Right. But it looks like we're only going to get one episode of this before we move into the past to try to fix it.
2: But 2024 could be I mean, that's when the bell riots happen. That's when Cisco travels back in time. Like there's the I mean, and that was those that episode was a statement, too. Oh, yeah. That's that's not to say that the statements are going to end. Right. Because if they're going to L.A. in 2024, like I expect there to at least be some reference to what we already know about Earth 2024.
0: And, and we're going to really have a Soong, animals. apparently, who's Earth first.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, that's my other big question. So you have Picard, and then you have the Borg, and now you have another character named Sung, which is also prevalent in much of Picard's storytelling.
2: Right, Soong. And we don't know Adam Soong. We don't know who 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 he is. I mean, but I assume that he's...
0: Well,
1: there's a statue of him. That's all we know. Right? Yeah, so,
2: I assume that... I mean, obviously, he's a Soong, but like, is he... Grandson, son of new like who But it's
1: kinda like how many skywalkers can we relate the story to, right? You know, you're gonna have this skywalker right. or that skywalker. Okay. Like exact of course, yes. You know what yeah.
2: <laughs> you know what makes me sad though is that if Adam Sung is like a like a grandson or something of Nunion, like I mean, data had to exist, right? Because they still have synthetics that were basically made in after Data like they they could only make those synthetics because of data. So, like data had to to have existed in in this timeline, right?
0: Same with Picard's synthetic body. That shouldn't exist without right without uh, data without, or beta or. Lore.
2: Because my first thought was like, if Noonien had like a son and a grandson, then maybe he wouldn't have felt it necessary to build the sons that he had, right? Which would have been before Lore and Data. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if Data doesn't exist, then I don't like that. But the synthetics are there. The golem is like Picard still has a golem body, so like he had to have existed. But we still don't know who Adam is, and I'm I like Brent Spiner, so I'm excited. Oh yeah,
1: I'm happy to
0: see him. Yeah, no doubt.
1: I have no problem, kind of like I said. The casting, you know, seeing him, seeing like all of the nostalgic casting, it's great. I think it's working for me so far. It's just that, again, when you when you get when you when you have the opportunity to open the playing field to you know to more opportunities, they seem to always kind of gravitate towards very similar, uh, very similar like posts to lean on. You know, so is that necessarily being Creative or is that being smart?
2: Uh I guess I mean I, I, I don't really have an answer for that because we're only two episodes okay. in. I That's want to much just, more.
1: A lot of this is just food for thought for yeah. Um, for
2: the rest of the season.
1: We have a very short amount of time. Yep, uh, and I and should go so
0: you get one more yeah. in. But I do want to Maybe say two. one thing before I go, Norman Holly. Yes, sir. Yes. Is sir. Patton Oswald
1: not the best animated cat in the universe? I think so.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I want I one. I think so. I yeah. want one. Let's talk to JVC and make it happen. You know, everyone out there, bombard them with Twitter and say, like, we want our spot 43, 7,
2: 43. Okay. 73. Right, oh, why didn't they make it spot 47? That That's what I'm saying. 47. Like 47.
1: Exactly. That would have been best.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, at some point, presumably there was a spot 47 because we're on 73. Anyway,
0: this is true. true. All right, all right, guys. Hey, great talking to you and have a great night. And I will talk to you again soon.
1: Good seeing you again, sir. Take all right. Care. Both of you. All right, we have the lightning round with Alan and Sherry. Alan's up first, so uh, about a minute or two here before we uh, (laughs) rotate that spinning door.
3: Well, yeah, and fortunately, I I, I don't have a a whole heck of a lot to say about Picard. uh, Specifically, a lot of my comments were Discovery tonight, so I'm glad I got to spend more time there. But um, you guys were just talking about whether this qualifies as... uh, next gen's answer to the mirror universe. Um, I I don't necessarily have an opinion on that one way or the other, but I just want to commend the producers in one episode for making a dystopia. That's a hell of a lot scarier and a hell of a lot more grounded and realistic feeling than what we've gotten in discovery. And frankly, a lot of what we got in deep space nine with the mirror universe. Mm. Uh, I mean, just uh, you know, you know, Mission Log has covered the, the mirror universe pretty pretty thoroughly, uh, you know, about it being this idea that was good once and that uh you know had subsequently kind of been driven into the ground by by Deep Space Nine, resurrected a little bit by Discovery again, kind of, you know, like like you guys just said, kind of driven into the ground again, but man maybe it's the skulls, maybe it's eradication day, but and I honestly, I think it's mostly the fact that it was on earth with real people cheering it on that made it scary. So yeah,
1: that was intense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um Agreed. You know, when you, when you put that kind of reality into the situation, it gives it a lot more immediacy, a lot more uh, yeah. brutality to it. You know, that I think that a lot of us are starting to recognize, you know, out there in the new spaces so
3: exactly that's my serious serious reaction funny reaction is that uh because this seems to happen a lot it really does seem like star trek's or starfleet must have some sort of protocol for what to do if you wind up in a fascist dictatorship um (laughs) because picard and especially uh raffi and uh uh seven kind of slipped into it pretty easily uh rios was a little bit disoriented but he was in a battle uh poor agnes and, and elnor were a little bit yeah. left out to-
1: <laughs> they missed uh they missed Starfleet um yeah. improv class that that night yeah exactly you know?
2: how to ask so, questions correctly yeah. to get the right information but not seem like you're clueless as to what's going on i feel like exactly. seven did a good job at that <laughs>
1: Yep. <laughs> All right, Alan, we're going so, to have yeah. to let you go. We have to rotate to uh, Sherry before the end of the hour here. No worries. Have a good night, guys. All right. Thanks for calling Thank in. Thank you. And lastly, <laughs> uh, lastly, we have Sherry. She's Welcome back.
2: now. Oh,
1: oh, you've been assimilated. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> kind of.
2: No, they're, sh- they're sleeping. Oh, oh, they are <laughs> sleeping. Okay. She's not a threat. She's not a threat. All right. Uh,
1: hate to have you on so late with uh, not enough time, so... um. Rattle what off
5: your you, thoughts, yeah. <laughs> kind of like rapid uh, fire, this is
1: lightning round for you.
5: Well, uh, I'm just wondering if you two think that they're going to tie in all the DS9
2: stuff with 2024. God, I hope they do. That'd be uh, listen. I yes, I want that.
1: Oh, you're talking about with future tense and with um, yes, yeah, with the Bell Riots. Yes. I think that that's probably why that they made so much mention of like deep space nine characters early so that they can start seeding that idea with the fans. I mean, it it only makes sense.
2: uh, Like the, like what if the watchers Gabriel Bell? Like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Could you
1: imagine if Avery Cisco comes back?
2: The traveler could be the traveler, which is not related to the bell rides. What if it's Wesley Crusher?
1: (laughs) That would be cool. Will would be excited. Right. But seriously, like what if like the, what if Picard's like greatest kept secret right now is Avery Brooks returning to TV? (laughs)
5: <laughs> that'd be cool yeah
2: they did mention general cisco
1: right that would blow people's minds or even maybe sid you know because sid was oh, there.
2: oh don't get me started oh my god because he, he was there too if they bring back this i'm gonna lose my mind
1: right <laughs> <laughs> i said that just for you holly just for you because i know how much
2: i it wonder if they are do like a trials and
5: tribulations thing and just like like interspersed the old footage with the new footage
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they could do that with. I they could do it back then. Even they can do it today. I mean, I, the only reason why I think that they will tie it in be, is because listen, I know I understand that they chose a a year that's close to the year that we're in now, mm-hmm. so that they could use Los Angeles as a backdrop and not have to really change anything. But like specifically 2024, I, I was immediately like, oh, I hope that it has. That it, those if it has nothing to do with that, that it's at least mentioned and like maybe we'll like see it off in the background or something. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um, Michael in chat said in the sanctuary district was referenced in the trailer. Oh, so <laughs> okay.
2: I'm excited. Let's shake do the, it.
1: Shake the magic eight ball and see what happens. You know, all signs might point to yes. We don't know. And we have 11 episodes left to see if our dreams come true. I've seen a lot of these base nine getting tied back into it. So uh, that's a great question, Sherry. I think that's a fantastic question and answer to end the show on. And I can't believe that, again, I always say this because it's, uh, I'm, I'm surprised we can fill an hour so quickly, but an hour and a half and two shows and a fantastic ad for a fantastic audiobook, who to thunk? That's what we do here on Mission Log Live. So Holly, uh, any last parting thoughts for the audience leading into this week's episode?
2: That, I don't have any last parting thoughts. I think I've rattled off all of my disjointed thoughts in my notes. Is I'm there, very excited. Can I ask I'm ex-
5: one very quick question. Yeah. Yes. Go. What happened to the other 72 spots?
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: <laughs> data files. They're in data files. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're on a USB stick somewhere. Maybe they're on a com badge, you know, thrown against yeah. the wall. Who knows? You know, I don't know.
2: Product development could release each one of them. They could be limited edition. NFT,
1: NFQs.
2: Oh, no, don't do NFTs. I don't understand them. <laughs> I don't understand them
1: either. I don't know why I said those three. I blame the coffee. I always do. <laughs> um, but yeah, they could be all digital pets.
2: Well, I mean, you know, spot 73, I imagine that it's like, you know, Heinz 57 and 409. <laughs> like those, those four, like Heinz 57 is it took them 57 tries to get it right. 400 409, it took them mm-hmm. 409. WD4. Yeah. Yeah. So she just didn't have it right the first 72 times.
1: (laughs) There we go. Spot 73. It's going to be a hit. It's going to steal the show away from Picard, just like you did.
2: Yay, Yay.
1: All right, folks. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for calling back. Thanks Thank for being you. with us. Thanks everyone for uh, all your amazing chat. You know, I'm sorry that we don't get uh, to the chat as much as we can, uh, but you are also very important to the show. And you're you know, all of your uh, insight is just amazing. You know, I read it on the side. You know, it's it's a good thing that I can read out of my left and right eye at the same time. Uh, Mission Log Live is produced by Rod and Barry Entertainment technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live is provided by the Earl Green Skull Room. That's the we were supposed to rename your room. It's going to be the, the trophy room, the Earl Green Intergalactic Skull Trophy Room. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks, Holly, for being here. Thank you for wearing that amazing borg poncho and for <laughs> all of your enthusiasm and your insights for the show. Thanks to everyone who has joined us live or join us later. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll look forward to another double header with Disco and Picard on the live show with you next week.
0: This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.